You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your host, James Rapine. Your weekly reminder to make sure you're following the podcast wherever you get your podcast. I believe our iTunes issue is now resolved, but do let us know if it's not. You can find it on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, etc., etc., on Odyssey, pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. So please do make sure you follow. That is the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode. We're here for you five days a week. You can also make sure you follow us on Twitter at James Rapine, at Jake Lisko, and at Locked On Bengals. And make sure you especially follow Locked On Bengals because that is where we look for the questions for our weekly mailbag episode. And today is the day for that weekly mailbag. James, let's jump right in, shall we? We've got a bunch of questions as always to get through. And we're trying to get some new folks in here that haven't asked questions before. So some returning questions for sure. And some new folks today. The first one is a very regular asker of questions and promoter of Lockdown Bengals, the Bengalorian. James, he wants to know what your go-to skyline order is. This is so easy and it's, oh, I can taste it right now. Two Chilitos with no onion, no sour cream, just two straight up Chilitos in a three-way. Give me some hot sauce on the side and a large water with some lemon. Oh, babe. It, oh my God. Crackers on the side. I'm, I might have to, after I'm finished with this built bar, Jake, I might have to go to Skyline because uh, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. What about you? How would you have space left in your stomach after finishing a built bar, James? Well, see, you got to balance the healthy stuff that's protein packed with uh, Skyline, which I'm not going to say it's unhealthy Skyline, but it uh, it certainly isn't nearly as healthy and it doesn't help those muscles grow like Bilt Bar. Well, what the problem is, is that a Bilt Bar is filling. I don't understand how you're eating a meal after you've had a Bilt Bar. Explain you this, You see please. me? I can eat a lot. That's I can why. eat a lot too. I but Bilt Bars man. are filling regardless of that- how much food you can eat. Go check it out at BiltBar.com. My Skyline order is... Um, not a Cholito, whatever this new age young people thing that people are doing is. Oh. That didn't exist when I lived in Cincinnati, James, although I will try it the next time I'm in because I've heard it's really good. But yeah. uh, it's a three-way. And depending on my mood, I'm going to do either three chili cheese sandwiches or three cheese conies, no mustard, no onion. And uh, it just depends on if I want that hot dog in there or not. Sometimes the hot dog is too much salt for me and sometimes... I want that to go with the chili cheese in the bun. That's fair. And usually I get my cheese conies plain. I always do the conies, by the way, not the sandwiches. But there are times where I'll get the mustard and onion, you know, if I'm feeling a little froggy and it's it's hot sauce on all of it. But, man, the thing is, you're on that Canadian diet. I, I live in America. We eat a lot here. So that's why I can do a built bar and then uh, all that skyline. Are you sure you could still do three three conies in a three-way? I don't know you'll, if you'll be able to do that when you visit. I could I could do more easily like for sure i i mean just because i'm i'm lighter than you and and slender and build does not mean that i don't eat i think there was once i had a three-way and six conies when i was younger and i'm 
pretty confident I can still do it. You ever eat two Chipotle burritos in one sitting, James? No, never tried. Never tried. I was, I'm a bowl guy, see? I, I didn't feel great afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you do that? I don't know, man. I was 18 and I could. That, that's, that's the entirety of the story. Let's get to our next question. And we'll talk a little bit about the Bengals here. Sometimes in the offseason, we like to take the questions that are about ourselves. Sometimes they're fun and lead to fun topics like how many built Bars could you eat in one sitting? But our next question comes from James Shepard at J underscore Shepard 83 on Twitter. If you could only go to one game this year, and obviously this doesn't apply to you, James, as a member of the media, but it might apply to me. Which game would you go to? I think a lot of people are going to say, you know, the Thursday night game, Burrow versus Lawrence. And that's certainly a good one. I'm going to preface it with, I need to make sure Aaron Rodgers is in Green Bay. I need to make sure Patrick Mahomes is playing in week 17. I think he will because, again, only one buy in the AFC now. So I want to see great, great. We got time to see Trevor Lawrence. Aaron Rodgers, not sure about it. So I'll say Aaron Rodgers in person, even though I've seen him, um, or Patrick Mahomes. And if I had to go one way or the other, I've seen Rodgers in person a couple of years ago at Lambeau. So I will uh, I will say Patrick Mahomes, assuming he's starting for the Kansas City Chiefs in week 17. It will be a lot of fun. Man, week 17 not being the last game of the season. Still weird, by the way. It will be a lot of fun <laughs> to to watch Patrick Mahomes in, in Cincinnati. That, that would be great. But I am going at least if everything goes according to plan to that week four Thursday night game, the only primetime game currently on the schedule Uh, for me, it fits in with my schedule. It means I get to go, you know, see some family, make a little trip out of it. And, you know, primetime game, a lot of outer towners are going to be there. Uh, so I'm excited to get down to a game to to see what the new Stripes experience, the new game day experience is all about and see some people that I haven't seen. And when when I'm there, James, this is something that we really need to work on once these plans get finalized a little bit further. We're going to find a place. Maybe it's Bengal Jim's tailgate to do some sort of pregame event for sure. We're going to have some some live podcasting to do at some point. Maybe I'll talk to Emily and see if she'll let me stick around in the stadium somewhere after the game so we can record that podcast after we're done. Oh, I'm sure we can make that happen. You know, I could just come to you, worst case. We'll do it from the stands. Easy. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy, as they say. Next question. Hold on. Is do, they a- not, do they not throw you out after the game at some point? Like, how long can I sit there while you're doing the press conferences? I'm sure they do at some point. When I went to games as a, a fan, I just leave. So I've yeah. never hung out that way. And obviously, that it, being in the media, I'm working till, you know, the lights are off and no one else is is there. You know, all the players are gone and everything. So I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure I could somehow arrange the guest pass type thing where we can get you up there uh, after the game so we can record the podcast. I don't think it would be a problem. Not like I've never seen the press box. Like I've been back there. It would just be... Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll figure something out. But regardless, the, the, what I wanted to get to there is we will have an event if I get to town this year, and I'm very excited for it. And maybe uh, uh, you could try a Cholito at some point because oh, they're, yeah. uh, they're going to change your life. I'm not Next opposed. question comes from Brian. Which is more appealing to you, 
being at a game in the atmosphere or in the comfort of your own home with a few friends over. Brian says he enjoys going to games, but the TV experience is so good now, and he doesn't have to deal with any of the stadium hassle. Obviously, we're talking about you going to a game, Jake. Something tells me you miss being in person, at least a bit. Well, yeah, I do want to get down there to see what the new Stripe stuff is all about. And, you know, there have been a lot of connections that I've made with Bengals fans, obviously, since I left Cincinnati. When when I was last at a Bengals game, I don't know if I would have had people to go with. Like, I wasn't a podcaster at that point. Very few people really knew who I was as far as football analysis goes. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, one of the things on my list to do, for example, is probably to go visit PFF and meet some of those guys. Like, I worked for PFF and talked to some of them on occasion, you know, from time to time still. So, yeah, I mean, I do want to get back to a game, but generally speaking, I actually do prefer watching on TV. And that maybe for me is because it has been so far removed from a social thing for me for so long. It's It's been an analysis thing for me for so long that at this point, it's just easier for me to see stuff on TV than it is in person. I'm, I'm going to go to the game. And I'm going to talk to you afterwards and be like, man, I don't know what happened. I don't know. I know what the score was. I remember some point, but like, it's much harder for me to retain information in my experience when I'm at the game versus watching on TV. And, and I know that's kind of the antithesis of what you hear from scouts who like to see players in person, but I just haven't learned how to watch the game close up, uh, at least with the same sort of observation power that I have watching on TV. That's fair. It's fair. It's hard. I, I will say this. One of the things that was hard for me to adjust to when I was in the press box and, you know, in the radio booth initially, which is where I was when I first started going to Bengals home games regularly, is concentrating on the game itself while also doing the job that you're there for and balancing the two. So you remember the plays, so you can talk about them. And that is there is a balance there for sure. And but but at the same time. There is something about being at the stadium and and seeing it. But at then flip it, replays, uh, breakdowns. Some of the analysis does help you. Ability to um, not lose service at times because there's so many people in the stadium. Stuff like that, man. People like that, and I get it. Plus the you know the twelve dollar beer or whatever it is is certainly not uh, not appealing as well. So th- there's certainly positives and negatives of both sides. But uh, going to a couple games at least is what I would advise people to do because I think that game day experience is is awesome and, and it's really hard to pass up. And the Bengals are trying to do something new and exciting. So I'm excited to see what that's about. Coming up next, well, coming up for the rest of the show, quite frankly, more questions. We get back into the mailbag in just a minute. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, plus NBA playoffs right around the corner. And here's the thing. Over-unders for the Bengals season. Maybe you want to bet on the Bengals to beat the Vikings in week one. Well, right now the Bengals are a three-point underdog. So get off the sidelines. Cash in right now at betonline.ag. And when you're there and you're signing up for free and you go to make that first deposit, make sure you use promo code Locked On. You're going to get a 50% welcome bonus. It's that simple. Betonline.ag, promo code Locked On. Get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Let's keep things rolling with Jeppy at Jep1218 on Twitter. Jake, 
says, assuming we don't have an elite pass rusher, where do the sacks come from? Is there any hope pressure comes from creativity and blitz scheme like Mike Hilton, a la the Ravens, any other teams that get pressure without elite rushers? And we're going to combine these questions with Joe Webker, who asks, is Marion Hobby, the Bengals' new defensive line coach, going to make much of a difference in the pass rush slash defensive line play overall? Well, I think that the the first thing to talk about here is, yeah, we haven't talked nearly enough about the overhaul on the defensive line. I was watching the Cowboys game today for some reason. Don't ask me why. I was I was actually watching a trap play that was really well blocked. You might remember it because Quentin Spain got called for really a phantom hold and it took a Samaje Pirine touchdown off the board in the fourth quarter. But I was watching the Bengals run this really nice trap play and I was watching the defensive line a little bit as well. And the defensive line in that game, and I just tweeted about this, they, they had a five-man defensive front that had, from left to right, Sam Hubbard, Xavier Williams, Khalil McKenzie, Marcus Hunt, and Carl Lawson. That was the five-man front. In that same package this year, and this isn't necessarily a pass-rushing front, but I imagine it would probably be Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader, Tyler Shelvin at Nose, Larry Ogunjobi at 3-Tech, and uh, Trey Hendrickson on the other side replacing Carl Lawson there. Behind those guys, you've now got Joseph Osai, Cam Sample, Mike Daniels. So considering the backups are better than the guys that were playing that rep I mentioned in that screenshot I took of last year's game, you think about how much better the starters will be. There is a lot more quality on the defensive line than there was last year. And adding guys like Joseph Osai and Cam Sample and even Wyatt Hubert adds a lot of depth to the position, joining Khaled Kareem, who's really the only returning guy there. So, yeah, maybe they don't have an elite guy. Or maybe Trey Hendrickson takes a step. But they do have some guys that could be above average. Or at least average. And if you have that at multiple positions, you can still cobble together a decent pass rush. Take, for example, I'd say Buffalo would be one I would look at. Their best pass rusher was Jerry Hughes. He was a very good player. He had eight sacks for them last year, 66 pressures. And beyond that, they got a decent internal rush from Ed Oliver. They got some contributions from guys like Trent Murphy and Quentin Jefferson. But these aren't blow away names. And while Jerry Hughes is very good, he's not a Miles Garrett or a TJ Watt or et cetera, et cetera. The Ravens, another great example that you brought up. And with that, that's entirely scheme. That's blitz. Their front four wasn't getting pressure independently. So if Marion Hobby can come in there and install some, some pass rushing packages, and we're going to have to look into his history and, and what we think he will do in another episode, That'll require some research, but you, you do get the new blood coaching and, and you've added all of these players to the defensive line. Maybe there's not an elite guy. Maybe there isn't Trey Hendrickson. We'll see. But when you get several guys that can do it, it makes it a lot harder to block. I was watching some of these reps and, you know, it's a double team on Carl Lawson, a double team on your three tech. Sam Hubbard gets singled up, but Sam Hubbard isn't, you know, the, the twitchy edge rusher that, maybe Joseph Osai is on the other side from Trey Hendrickson. So just by adding additional depth and more players to the draft and free agency, I do think this unit will take a step even without 
the Miles Garrett level star that is relatively rare in the NFL. That has to be the plan. Honestly, much like on the offensive line, and I get it, they have two first rounders on the offensive line and a lot of high picks overall. It's kind of the, all right, we're going to be better together than we are as separate pieces. And you do get the twitchy athlete in Joseph Osai who hopefully can step in and give you at least some of what you got with Carl Lawson, right? And you have the endless motor guys and Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson who are just relentless in their approach and they never stop going and going and going. And you hope that DJ Reader and Tyler Shelvin and Mike Daniels and um, Larry Ogunjobi and maybe they sign another interior guy, you hope that all together they can be a solid line. I think that's where the expectation is really throughout this defense. The biggest question mark, probably linebacker. But if the line is solid and the pass rush is solid, well, I know Jesse Bates can cover, right? And, and you hope that the the corners that Luana Rumo sort of handpicked, right, and, and went out and the, the Bengals spent a lot of money, that they can help complement that. So this unit as a whole, I don't see any stars outside of Jesse Bates, like really star stars. But together, can they be this, this well-oiled machine? Lou Anarumo seems to think so. The Bengals seem to think so. And we'll see if they get to that level. And that level could mean, uh, you know, their ceiling being 18th in the league with a decent amount of pressure. I think that's good enough for what we're expecting from this offense. So but we'll see if they can get it done. But I agree with you. I think that they're going to be the pass rush is going to be better than it was last year. And a lot of that has to do with the the new faces and specifically the fact that they got a steal on Joseph Osai double down with cam sample. And then a, a guy like Wyatt Hubert, who I, I don't think is going to necessarily contribute a ton on special team or on uh, defense, but will be more of a special teamer if he makes the 53, but that depth at those spots, it's just so much greater now than it was a year ago. Yeah. I think that's certainly the biggest aspect. Like there's a little bit of a step back, at least a, I would say there appears to be a little bit of a step back from Carl Lawson to, uh, to Trey Hendrickson. But when the entire line elevates, you expect all of that to be better. And and the big thing, like you said, the third year with Lou Anarumo, this is fully his guys now. Like there's no more excuses for Lou Anarumo. So if there is going to be any success on defense, there will need to be some cohesion between all three units. And that should manifest. And with the amount of resources they've invested, you certainly would hope they're better than the worst pass rush in the NFL, which there was a good argument for. <laughs> last year next question comes from b hayes at brendan hayes on twitter stunts were a big problem for the offensive line last year they had a hard time communicating have they signaled through talent acquisitions any plans to deal with that specific weakness via scheme or is it simply a frank pollock will figure it out solution i think that's certainly part of it right that frank pollock is gonna help get the most out of the michael jordans of the world at the same time, they don't plan on those guys starting. I, I don't really see a scenario where, barring a lot of three injuries to guard, that Michael Jordan is in the starting lineup. I think Xavier Suofilo is ahead of him. I think Quentin Spain's ahead of him. Not necessarily in that order. They think Jackson Carmen can play all over the line. I was listening to Duke Tobin earlier this week talk about, yeah, we think he could play four, maybe five spots. So I assume that they'd be fine playing him at either guard spot if they needed to. And so to me, I think one, if you can stay with 
Xavier Suofilo or Spain, that's going to help in that department. You're hoping Frank Pollock can help develop some of these guys. And two, I don't think they they are worried about Jackson Carmen hitting the ground running at guard. Even though outside-wise that might be the case, I think that those are sort of the upgrades and sort of the things. So instead of a half of Xavier Suofilo and then Billy Price playing guard and they kind of scramble at guard with Michael Jordan on the other side like they did last year, and then you get Fred Johnson week two starting at right guard and just getting annihilated by Miles Garrett at times, like you're mentioning. I just think that that part of it is going to be better. In in their defense, having preseason is going to help. Having a better teacher in Frank Pollock is going to help. But I do think the talent level is better. Jackson Carmen is more talented than Fred Johnson, right? He's just a, a better prospect. And uh, that's not saying that Frank Pollock can't get something out of Michael uh, Jordan or any of these guys. But I, I just think that overall the talent is better. And I didn't mention Riley Reef, and obviously he's going to help whoever's playing that right guard spot as well. I think stability is going to be the biggest thing. If this group can stay healthy and and perform at an adequate level, one of Jim Turner's favorite things to do was sub guys in and out. And when you do that, it's hard to communicate. And, and you're going to have breakdowns in, in those communications and in those protection rules because you got guys that aren't used to playing next to each other. You got some veterans in there now, if, if especially if Trey Hopkins comes back healthy, but adding Riley Reef as that veteran presence you heard them talk about, the they've extolled the the awareness and the the football intelligence of some of these guys. And I mean, obviously we heard that with Bobby Hart too. So there's definitely some see it to believe it with dealing with stunts. This has been an issue. And it's hard. It is hard. But they've got some guys and Jackson Carmen's included here that that should be and have showed the traits to be aware of those handoffs. And so if they can get consistently the, that group of four on the field together with ostensibly a better teacher, and I guess we'll find out pretty quick just how bad Jim Turner was for this team. Uh, we, we should see at least some improvement in this area, but I mean, they, they only did so much. And I don't think James nor myself think they did enough to get better on the offensive line. So there's definitely some seeing as believing still at play there. Coming up next, we wrap up our weekend mailbag. But if you ever needed to take a break for a quick and filling built bar, now is the time. Maybe you want that coconut brownie chunk, my favorite flavor. Maybe you're into one of the fruitier ones like raspberry, or maybe you're a peanut butter chocolate kind of person. They've got a flavor that you will love. And no matter which flavor you pick, they're going to be high in protein. They're going to be low in sugar. They're going to be covered in 100% real chocolate and taste great. You can't beat it. You simply can't beat the flavor profiles that they offer, the nutrient profiles of these protein bars. Go check out all of their selection right now at BuiltBar.com. We've got a promo code for you. It's LOCKED15. You'll save 15% on your next order. Again, that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 to save 15% on your next order. James, as we wrap up this week's mailbag, we have a question especially for you from a longtime listener of the show, LogieB513, at Logie513 on Twitter. He wants to know if you'll be investigating whether Jamar Chase had to buy the number one from the mascot, from Who Day. <laughs> Good question, Logie. No, hell no. You know what Jamar Chase did? What he does on the football field, he snatched that bad boy right from Who Day 
took it, just like he's going to take footballs from opposing defensive backs in the AFC North. That's what he does, Jake. That's what you saw on film, right? I wonder if Houday is going to wear a different number or if he's still going to where like are they gonna have two number ones or is he gonna start wearing like double zeros or something that no other player would be wearing maybe he could just wear jamar chase's jersey and celebrate with him he he could celebrate with him in the end zone little little touchdown celebration jamar chase teaching who day some dances there you go the gritty they could do the gritty Never say never. I, I love the the fact that Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are going to be competing against each other week one. Anyways, next question comes from Evan John at Evan John 777 on Twitter. With the newly implemented 17 game regular season schedule, what is your prediction on how many wins will be needed to clinch a wild card spot this year? Man, I, I don't know if I've looked at the AFC enough for this because I'm thinking this is about the AFC because some years it's eight. Some years especially in the NFC lately, you don't even have to have a winning record to get into the playoffs. And I'm talking about you, Washington football team. But I feel like with 17 games, with the relative strength of the AFC, it's what? It's 10 or 11, right? It's it's 10 because most years it's 9 or 10. You add a game. I have to think that that just bumps it up to 10 or 11 Although with the extra wildcard team, maybe nine. So somewhere in that range, I'm going to say 10. I'm going to take the average and say 10. Have you given this more thought than that? And maybe you can give a more uh, thoughtful answer. I, I haven't, to be honest with you, but I, I think you're pretty right there. I mean, because nine and eight is probably the new eight and eight. Like th- that's just how you have to look at it. So yeah, if you're at 10 and seven, I'd give you like a 75% chance to make it. With the new wild card, maybe a little higher. And then certainly 11 wins, 11 and 6 is going to be enough. And these numbers are still weird to me, Jake, as I'm saying them. And who knows? Maybe we'll be saying the Bengals 11 and 6 in 2021. You know what I like is that we won't actually have to say the full record until next year at this time when we're talking about last year's Bengals were 9 and Mm. 8 or 10 and 7. Yeah, man, that's weird. All right, next question. Bengals talk at Bengals talk on Twitter. If each of you could add one player who is currently still a free agent to the Bengals roster, meaning they will only sign one more free agent. Who would that player be? Well, there's a couple out there and Mitchell Schwartz would be it. Unfortunately, there's just so many medical issues there. So I'll preface it with that. That would be my dream, right? If you could get healthy Mitchell Schwartz walking into Paul Brown stadium Russell Okun's still out there. He's just hanging out there. And I get it. The Bengals don't necessarily need a tackle. But why not add another guy like that to this um, to this room, in, into this offensive line group? Uh, the other one that would give me pause, because I really like Melvin Ingram, and I think he's got a lot to prove. But to me, Russell Okun, if you can keep Joe Burrow upright, then I think they're going to ball out with Jamar Chase, right? And, and I think th- they can get to that. 10, 11 win mark as, as a high ceiling. Oh, bold take by me. So, uh, yeah, Russell Okung, I'm going to go ahead and say it veteran yeah. lineman. Hopefully he can hold up and stay healthy. Yeah. there's a few like that, right? We've talked about Rick Wagner, uh, just a few days ago, we talked about interior defensive line options as well. And I think Okung Wagner, both reasonable Austin reader, reasonable or writer, whatever his name is, uh, Gino Atkins still out there. Still wouldn't hate to see Gino come back. And in the Geno Atkins 
realm of veteran defensive tackles, Jarrell Casey, Kawan Short, Sheldon Richardson, all guys that I'd be open to. P.J. Hull, a little bit younger at the interior defensive line. But, I mean, it's hard to argue with uh, a tackle the caliber of Russell Okung. Like, this would be a very solid player. It just makes me wonder, like, do they kick Reef to left guard at that point? And then you just have good depth. I mean, maybe that works. And then your offensive line is Jonah, Reef, center, and hopefully Trey Hopkins at that point. Uh, right guard, Carmen, right tackle, Okung, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's Rick Wagner. You do the same thing, Rick Wagner, right tackle. Or maybe you take yep. Austin Reeder and you leave Reef at tackle and, and then you just plug Reeder in at center. And and you, you figure out what to do with Trey Hopkins when he's healthy. These are These are options that are out there. But... I think both of us are still focused on the trenches and uh, a lot of that's because there's really nothing out there wide receiver as we discussed earlier this week next question comes from bengal brian at brutal b-man on twitter which bengals away game would you be most likely to go to when you factor in time of year location and quality of the football matchup well we talked about this one and for me this is convenience the biggest factor and for me, most convenient is Vegas. And then also I would go to some Cirque du Soleil shows or something. I, I think Cirque du Soleil got saved. I remember seeing something about they went bankrupt, but I would go see some sweet performances in Vegas and also watch the Bengals play football. So that's the one that's easiest for me to get to, probably the cheapest for me to get to of any of the away games. And it gets you to somewhere slightly warmer in the winter. I think that is the easiest choice. But I think Chicago is a strong runner-up. If it were uh, any other year, I would not hate it. Because I have friends in Chicago. I went to school in Chicago. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at seeing some of those old friends. And it's just uh, with the COVID year being what it is, that might be a little bit early for me. We'll see. Chicago's tempting that time of year, man. It's so damn tempting. I think I have to t- pick Vegas here because of... Going into that stadium, I want to see it. And it's the the newest one. I haven't been to Jerry World yet. I was in Atlanta at that Mercedes-Benz Stadium a couple of years ago, and it was amazing. The A.J. Green game-winning touchdown game. It just insane. And so if I can see all these new stadiums, I'm going to. So I think that's it. Because Vegas in November, pretty damn good weather then. So I'll uh, I'll roll with that, even though the the football – and I think it's a winnable game – so from that aspect, I think it's a pretty, pretty tempting one. There you go. Last question for this week's mailbag comes from Jake Wilder at next Bengals owner. So we got a billionaire here in the mailbag. <laughs> I mean, you got to have deep pockets to pry this team away from the Brown family. But Jake wants to know if Joe Burrow is healthy. I think the Bengals against the Giants and Dolphins probably win. They finish six, nine and one. How would that have changed the national perception and the narratives we've heard this offseason? How would that have affected the way we feel about this season, about how people feel about Zach? I think it would certainly impact the perception of the Bengals and the direction they're going in. But I think that's independent of Zach Taylor. So to me, if Joe Burrow stays healthy, everything's different. Th- this narrative that they have to pick Penny Sewell is different. I think people would have seen and realized, oh, man, the Bengals do need another weapon. And, and it isn't as not, – not that offensive line wouldn't be stressed. Of course, that was something that needed to happen. But it would feel like they were trending in the right direction. But he got injured. 
And part of that was he was so good as a rookie that he was carrying a bad roster. I'm not saying that they're better than the national perception from a roster standpoint. I just think Burrow's that damn good. And that's what he was capable of doing. And I agree with you. I think they would have beat the Giants for sure. Uh, and, and I think they would have probably beat Washington the game he got hurt. I mean, they were controlling that game for the most part, and he left some plays out there. That being said, independent of Zach, because to me, Zach still has a lot to prove, and even if they were 6-9-1 and one last year, would still have a lot to prove. I, I don't think that part has changed. He's under more pressure now because Bro's coming off of an injury. I think the clock is ticking. I think he needs to win early this season, and I think that's fair. So would the pressure be as hot on Zach? Maybe not if he had a couple more wins, but it would still be there. What if it was 7-9-1? and one? Because like you said, they beat Washington. They still beat Miami maybe, or according to this hypothetical, they beat Miami, they beat New York. What if it's 7-9-1? and one? Oh, 7-8-1 then. 7-8-1, sorry, yeah. The, yeah, the, the new schedule getting you a little bit. Oh, no, I'm man. just messing. 7-8-1, uh, and one, then you're, you're probably feeling good about the future. Like that, because you're basically 500 mm-hmm. and if, if you're winning the three games in the back half there and you're still beating Pittsburgh and you're handling business against Houston that means you're probably winning some close games that means Zach's probably out coaching at times and doing it with a roster that again had some flaws that they've cleaned up this offseason and unfortunately that doesn't happen and so now seven nine and one feels like a a reachable goal. And I think that's a year behind. I think they need to be thinking about 10, 10 and seven, right. Or something like that. And it's hard to skip a step and it's going to be challenging for Zach Taylor to do that this year, which I, I think he should need to do. And not just he, this entire organization as a, as a group, they need to find a way to get back to over 500 for the first time since 2015. This would be the year to do it with the social media push they've made, with the marketing push they've made, with with the new Stripes campaign and all this stuff, that this would be the year to do it. I do think that if they had won those games on the stretch, if Burrow never gets hurt, we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, the narrative in the draft, like you said, James, much different. They're not picking top five either. And so right now, when, when people in our Locked On NFL DM group talk about, oh, yeah, AFC championship game preview or, you know, two of the hosts say the Bengals are the easiest one on the schedule because who's blocking for Joe Burrow. Well, maybe that perception doesn't exist. And, and I think that, you know, people go for heuristics quite frequently and don't necessarily spend the time to, to do all the research. Maybe they should. Right. And so I, I do think that People feel a lot differently this year. They're instead of getting mailbag questions like "What's it going to take for Zach to get fired six games into the season?" Maybe there are more questions instead that are asking, you know, what needs to go right for the Bengals to make a playoff run, or, or you know, who's going to break out this year? And you know, I feel really good about Logan Wilson in year two. I like these things that he does. I really think the game's going to slow down for you know, and, and it would be more optimistic questions, I guess. But instead, we're getting the uh, a, a little bit of the, you know, what needs to go right for the Bengals to make a playoff run, but a lot more of, in the last few months, we've seen a lot more of the question of, like, what does Zach need to do to not get fired in the first five games of the season? That's been an incredibly common question, and I don't think that's nearly as high in the minds of Bengals fans if last season ends a little bit differently. We could be talking about them similar So what people are saying about the Chargers, to a degree, I don't think it would be on that level because the Chargers, I think, just started out with a better roster. 
but close. Because if Burrow finishes the season, maybe he's not offensive rookie of the year, but he's close. He's in the running if they win six or seven games in this scenario. And that whole thing changes. The reason people are so damn optimistic about the Chargers is because people think Justin Herbert can be slinging it, man, like Josh Allen plus, right? Where where you're not having to wait a couple years for him to become what he did last season, which a lot of people think he's you know a really, really high-end quarterback, and I get it. So and I'm talking about Allen there. So people think that about Herbert. I think people feel that and saw that from Burrow for 10 games, but now there's the injury question. And when you combine that with what people think is a bad coach and Zach Taylor and a flawed roster, then the expectations change. And I get it, but I think it would be much closer to the Chargers if he hadn't gotten hurt and they had won some of those games down the stretch. It's a very good point because the media loves it. I mean, we talked about power rankings earlier this week that the Chargers in the top 10, which is pretty crazy. But that is going to conclude this week's Locked On Bengals mailbag. We're back on Monday. There's rookie minicamp going on this weekend. James will be there in person. And I uh, have requested that he make a clandestine full recording of the practice for me so that I can review it and not tell anybody (laughs) that I've seen it. But we will have some updates for you coming out of that rookie camp session. And then we've got another week. We're here five days a week. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the schedule. We've got Brian Burke from ESPN, for example, putting out some unique schedule metrics like travel distance and rest differential. We'll talk about that being an advantage for the Bengals in next year's schedule. If I remember to refer to this graphic next week until then Bengals fans who day and have a good one.